tools up on the back table if you would like to use one of those. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect, expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, be depart, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Uh, thanks, Victoria, and good morning again. Uh, I've been very much looking forward to share fellowship and God's word with you. Uh, I've been preaching this series in a number of churches throughout Tasmania and will continue uh, for the next couple of months but I've been most looking forward to share that with you as my home church here. Uh, let me lead you in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just are overwhelmed by your goodness today. That you leave with us your peace is extraordinary. We know there's no one more kinder than you and your goodness is infinite. Lord, according to your kindness and infinite goodness, May you attend power to the truth that is preached today, that none of us would leave untouched by you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we set off on our six-metre boat uh, for a lovely day of fishing off the coast of Low Head. Uh, at 7.30am in the morning, Bass Strait was like a mill pond. Uh, I had my two brothers down from Sydney and we went, were heading out for some uh, lovely fishing. We got to about six kilometres out to sea and we we're catching some of Tasmania's uh, finest fish. Uh, Nenagai, Mowong, mackerel, barracuda, pike and of course everyone's favourite, flathead. It was a wonderful day, wonderful day. Now at 1pm the wind began to pick up uh, and the predicted rain began to fall which was no problem. I, I knew that was happening, I checked the weather, uh, it wasn't anything too serious. But what the weather predictions didn't predict and what I didn't know was that this rain developed into a low pressure system. It was quite isolated and local, just over low head uh, where we were. And within 30 minutes, the Bass, Bass Strait Mill Pond uh, was a raging squall. Uh, two metre plus waves uh, were present and the sight of a three metre uh, freak wave breaking over the bow of our boat uh, disturbed and shocked all of us who were in there. As the rain came down, land was no longer visible. You couldn't see land. Uh, and we had to somehow make our way back to low head. I want to confess to you this morning, at that very moment, I did not think that death 
was going to be to either mine or my family's advantage. I saw it as an enemy. And today, if you are facing the possibility of a life-limiting illness, you are most probably grieving death rather than welcoming it. If today you have a loved one whose life is in the balance, you, know, you are uncertain to what's going to happen. You're not, you are not looking to death to be your friend, but as your enemy. So why in the world would the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit no less, say these words to the Philippians? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, to describe our impending death as a gain, or, or, or the death of a loved one as a gain, quite frankly, feels repulsive. It's trying to unite two negative magnets together. And if Paul is referring to death here as a state of non-existence, that is, if Paul is referring to death here as a state of nothingness, well, then this divine statement makes absolutely no sense. But he's not. He's referring to life, to the life that the indwelling presence of Christ provides for the Christian, both in our lives but also in our death. And let me be crystal clear this morning, when the Bible speaks about death, the words it uses are words like sorrow, enemy, grieve, wept and the like. Let me give you some examples. Uh, in the very next chapter of Philippians, uh, when, the Paul, when the Apostle Paul considers the possibility of his friend Epaphrodite dying, this is what he says. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So it's clear from that passage that, according to Paul, the death of his friend will bring sorrow upon sorrow. And the reason is because with death comes terrible loss. And if you go to the letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, when he speaks to the Thessalonians about the death of their brothers and sisters in Christ, he says these words, We grieve, but not as those who have no hope. And again, Paul recognises that with death comes grief, terrible grief. And in John chapter 11, do you remember when Jesus came to the tomb and there is Mary and Martha and the crowds, there weeping? What does Jesus do? He weeps. Which means, incredibly, that God himself feels and expresses the awful pain that comes through death. And I think most importantly, if you go to Corinthians chapter 15, that, those verses declare death to be an enemy to be overcome, not a friend to be embraced. So my point is that when the Bible speaks about death, it recognises the grief, sorrow, heartache, pain that comes with death. So the statement that Paul makes here, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is not making light the awful reality of death. This statement is not teaching us to embrace death and it's not an encouragement to escape life. Friends, it is a statement about the radical difference 
that the presence of Christ makes to the life and death of the believer. See, when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he's in a Roman prison. Now, we have to understand is Paul is uncertain whether he'll live or die. And more to the point, he has no control. No control over the outcome. His chief concern is that he would honour Christ whether he lives or he dies. That's his concern. So when he considers the possibility of being released from prison, what does he say? He says, for me to live is Christ. That is, he's thinking of all the work and service he could do in the gospel for Christ. That's what he means. For me to live is Christ. He's saying that if he's released from prison, his time, talents, treasures can all be used for the advancement of a gospel in the church. Right? But then when he considers the possibility of execution at the hands of the Romans, he says... And to die is gain. Now, the question you've got to ask this morning is what could Paul possibly gain through death? Now, the gain that the apostle is talking about is a gain that is not isolated to himself as apostle. It's the gain that every Christian throughout all generations and history receives in death. Quite frankly, it's easy to pass over this and to give little thought to this. But whether any of us this morning acknowledge this or not, this gain is the one thing that meets our unfulfilled need for joy. So the gain Paul speaks about is the gain of living in the unshielded presence of the exalted and risen Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us this. Look to me if you have your Bibles at verses 22 to 23. He says, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, and here it is, and be with Christ, which is better by far. To be with Christ immediately is what Paul would gain straight after his execution. And what this would mean for Paul is that he would experience the euphoric joy of living in the presence of the one he met on the road to Damascus. But this time it's going to be very different because he will see the Lord Jesus Christ as he is in his unshielded glory. But more to the point, Paul, having been made perfect, would be like him. While Paul says that being with Christ is better by far, our problem here this morning is we just don't know how much far better that would really be. And the the reason is we've got a problem. Uh, We don't have a reference point to compare eternal life with our present life. See, what could you compare living in the presence of a glory and unobscured brilliance of Jesus Christ? See, how can you compare the joyful euphoria that you will experience 
when you are in the presence of the exalted Jesus Christ and you yourself are perfected in a glorified state? I mean, what can we compare that to? See, the person who is with Christ sees Jesus in his unobscured glory, all his perfections. Consider just for a moment, when you gaze upon Christ, you'll see his great majesty, unobscured. You will feel his almighty power. You will see his infinite wisdom, perfect holiness, abounding grace and immeasurable love. You will talk with Christ. You will fellowship with Christ. And incredibly... You will reign with Christ. The distance that once existed between you and Christ will be no more because the deformity and the darkness of sin will be forever removed. You will be presented before his throne, pure and blameless. The only way I can kind of express that joy to you is through this illustration. If you were to think this morning of the most joyful and happiest memory of your life and then compare it to the joy of being in the presence of Christ, it will be like comparing a flame of a match to a bushfire. Your present joys are a shadow of what is awaiting for you in eternal glory. Now, while we have no reference point to understand and compare our present life in Christ with our future life in Christ, do you know that the Apostle Paul does? Do you remember what he says in 2 Corinthians? He recounts how he was caught up to heaven. Now, let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul speaking. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, Paul is using the third person there. You know, I knew of a man... The reason why he's doing that, he doesn't want the Corinthians to think more of him than they ought to. He wants their focus to be on Christ, not on him, even though he's been caught up to heaven. Right? So what it tells us is Paul knows something, not everything, of course, but he knows something of what heaven is like. He's been in the presence of Christ and knows the glory of life in heaven far outweighs Life on earth. Can you begin to see this morning why the the Apostle Paul declares, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If you are a Christian here this morning and you are facing the possibility of a life-limiting illness, then take the comfort, take hold of the comfort that Christ is bringing before you in his word. The gain of eternal life far outweighs the loss of his present life. May you find comfort in the knowledge that when you you die, you'll be with Christ immediately. 
and you will experience the unprecedented joy of being with the risen, exalted and glorified Christ. Your sin at this present moment obscures your vision of the glory of Christ. Uh, The remnants of sin still burden you. Spiritual blindness, darkness, futility, defiance, hardness of heart, impurity, all of those things in some measure are still in our lives because of sin. God hasn't fully eradicated them yet. He's working on it and praise his name, but they're not fully eradicated. And our sin obscures our vision of Christ. But take heart. If you are dying today, the day is coming when all such residue of sin will be fully eradicated. And indeed, one day this will be for us all. So when you die, you will not only see the Lord Jesus, but you will walk with him. You will talk with him. And you'll do this in a state of purity and perfection. My sisters and brothers, what joy, what blessedness, what peace, what glory awaits you. Don't think for a moment that your illness is a sign that the Lord has abandoned you. Do not think for a moment that the Lord is punishing you. Far from it. You are ill and dying because you are living in a broken world with a broken body. But praise be to God because he's going to deliver you from both. So I say to you, keep resting your faith in Christ. Keep turning your heart away from sin. Keep repenting. Keep trusting him to be your righteousness, your holiness, your redemption. Your faith in Christ is never in vain because in him, John tells us, is eternal life and because he lives, so will you. If today you are mourning or grieving the loss of your Christian loved one, then I encourage you, receive the comfort that the Lord Jesus Christ extends to you this morning. Your grandfather, your grandmother, your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your daughter, your son, your sister, your brother, your grandchild, your great-grandchild, or your friend who is in the Lord, they are not disadvantaged by death. What they now experience in the presence of Christ is beyond description. They are with Christ, and they live in the glory that Christ has prepared for them. Yes, Appropriately so, we grieve the death of our loved ones, don't we? And the reason being, with such death, we experience loss and heartache and that is so painful and rightly so. But remember, you've experienced a loss, but they haven't. For them to die is gain. The fruit of faith in Christ surely is comfort and peace. And that's because not only are our loved ones in Christ with the Lord, but one day, if you're a Christian, you're going to see them again. The separation's only temporary. And the good news is that your relationship with them in the next world is not like it was in this world. 
Because just as you'll experience perfect fellowship and relationship with Christ in eternal glory, so too you'll experience perfect fellowship in eternal glory with all your loved ones. Don't you long for the day when you don't have to ask for forgiveness anymore? I do. Don't you long for that day when you don't have to give forgiveness? I do. Don't you long for the day when there's no more tension in our relationships? No more frustration. And don't you long for the day when there's no more loneliness? In fact, do you remember in the Gospel of Matthew that the Lord Jesus tells us there's no marriage in heaven? Have you ever wondered why? The reason why there'll be no marriage in heaven is there's no loneliness in heaven. No more loneliness. Yes, we grieve and mourn the loss of our Christian loved ones, and rightly so. But we ought not to grieve as if there's no hope after death. They are alive. More than that, they are with Christ. They are basking in the presence of his eternal glory. And one day, you will be reunited with them. Uh, My grandfather, by the name of Claude Pitt... Uh, was truly a man of faith. Uh, His life was not without trouble. In fact, he was burdened by many, many, many troubles. When his wife Dorothy gave birth to their first child, my mother Margaret, he was full of joy and so was Dorothy. They were married during the Depression. Uh, They, um, before before Dorothy gave birth, World War II broke out, the anxiety that caused... Uh, Dorothy's sister lost a child uh, as a young child just a year before Margaret was born. Claude's sister had a terrible mental illness. They were carrying significant burdens. But now they're full of joy because Margaret's been born. But their joy soon turned to grief. What Claude and Dorothy did not know is that soon after she gave birth... Dorothy's internal organs were dying. In a matter of a week or so, seizures set in, uh, and then pneumonia took hold, and within four weeks, Dorothy died. She had enclampsia. While Claude was overwhelmed with grief, he did not grieve as if there's no hope after death. On Dorothy's gravestone, he had these words written. Until we meet again. And that was not mere sentimentality. That was faith. Claude knew that one day he will see his beloved Dorothy in glory. And that's what brought him comfort in his grief. My sisters and brothers today, all of us suffer from a very old disease. Trouble of the heart. We all have heart troubles. And our troubles, our hearts can be very troubled, especially when we're facing death or when we're suffering grief. Please remember today that the remedy for your heart troubles in death and grief is Christ. He's the remedy. 
And the prescription Jesus himself gives to us in John chapter 14 is trust in God, trust also in me. So I, I, I encourage you today, may the pain, grief, suffering and trouble that you will experience under the shadow of death lead you to put your faith in Christ more deeply. Trust him more entirely. Rest in his power more unreservedly and lean into his love more completely. For in him is the comfort we long for under the shadow of death. Let me lead you in prayer.